The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to Secrets of Solo, a Star Wars Story, brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and our many generous supporters. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Solo, A Star Wars Story, where we will discuss the deeper layers and meanings of the latest Star Wars anthology film, starring Alden Ehrenreich as our favorite nerf-hurting space smuggler, Han Solo. And joining me today on the panel are Shelley Kelly. Hi, Shelley. Good evening, Dom. And Steve Nelson. Hi, Steve. Hi, everybody. I'm glad to be here. So, uh... Right off the bat, I've got to, I got a good feeling about this. <laughs> but I also want to right off the bat tell everyone, uh, this is going to be filled with spoils, spoilers. We're going to spoil everything in this. Um, the, the time for spoiler-free reviews is over. There's plenty of those. Go look at Father uh, Roderick's uh, that he did. Um, this one is, we're, go, we're going deep. You've, you've seen the movie. And you want to hear us talk about it and get in and go deep into it. And that's that's what we're going to do. So um, that's that's that said, um, Darth Maul. <laughs> 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 no, no, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so for, but first, I just want to kind of like the right off the bat, your take. What did you think of the movie? Uh, Steve, let's start with you. What was what did you go in expecting and how did you feel about the movie afterward? You know, I'd, I'd heard a, a few of the comments of, you know, of people who had seen the movie, uh, but I didn't really have any uh, expectations when I went in. And I always look at these movies just for their entertainment value. I, I'm not one that tries to dot all the I's and cross all the T's and, and all that kind of stuff. But, so uh, I just went in so I, to see an enjoyable movie that was part of the, the Star Wars universe. And what you think of it after you after you saw it? What, how, what, what would you, how would you rate it? Oh gosh, uh, do it like on a scale of one <laughs> to five, kind or of just did you like it? Was it was it good? I, I loved it. I was totally entertained the whole time, and you know, I picked up on some of the little I don't know if you call them Easter eggs, but some of the throwbacks, yep, uh, or throw forwards things that were mentioned <laughs> in the uh, uh, in A New Hope. You know, things that you saw in there and how they uh, were referenced in this movie as a prequel, and I I loved it. I, I laughed and you know just thought it was great. Excellent. Uh, how about you, Shelley? How, what it, what were you prepared for going in, or did you go in completely open? And then, what did you think of it after you saw it? So I went in spoiler free, and that was hard. <laughs> and it was so much fun. I laughed. I enjoyed it. I found all kinds of references to other movies and and things that I I knew from the Star Wars universe and and other movies that the Star Wars universe. Uh, influenced or or inspired and it was just fun i couldn't wait to go back and see it again that's awesome uh, so for me uh i i had i knew some of what had gone on i knew some of the behind the scenes stuff i knew a little bit of the the drama the two directors that got fired and they brought in ron howard and they reshot 70 percent of this film 70 percent of this film was new new footage um it uh, apparently the originally had a much more slapstick sort of feel to it, uh, which I'm glad they 
didn't keep that they they said that's not going to work for Star Wars. Um, uh, the, I went opening night. I so I always with Star Wars. I always try to go the first night. I didn't get to do that Last Jedi, but uh, or, or or Rogue One. I think it was. I didn't actually. I didn't get to see the uh, first night. But otherwise, I've always seen it first night. And I got in the theater. Now, when I went to see Force Awakens, which was had been the first Star Wars movie in like 15, 16 years, it was packed. It was crazy. The high energy. I went into Solo and I was nearly solo in the theater. I was really <laughs> sad because this is like like you guys said, this is a good movie. I mean, it's not I wouldn't say it's the in the top five or top three Star Wars movie. I, well, it might be in the top five. It's not certainly it's not in the top three, but it's fun. It's good. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to carry the weight of one of the trilogy movies or the weight of Rogue One, which was so, I mean, was great, but heavy and, you know, a movie where everyone dies. <laughs> spoilers. Everyone dies, you know, it's, right. this they had was, to. yeah, ex- exactly. They had to. This one, it was fun. Uh, and you get to see you know, Han and Chewie in their prime. I agree with you. I don't. I don't know why um, it's not doing better. Maybe I, I, the only thing I can think of is at the end of the movie, I wasn't quite as emotionally invested um, as I was in some of the others. Uh, but it was. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But you were laughing. Yeah. Right. You were laughing through the whole movie, and, and even in oh gosh, I mean, especially at the end, you left with that yeah feeling. You were coming out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have a few theories. One of them is the the inherent uh, baggage that a prequel carries, which is you you know where it ends up essentially. I mean, there's there's no surprises in. I mean. Han and Chewie survive. Lando survives. The, the the Falcon survives. I mean, there's so their lives are never in danger because you know that they survive to the the original trilogy, and so so prequels carry a little baggage like that. And so I think that sometimes is a weight that they carry. But I think there's other issues at hand that's a possibility. I think this movie came out just five months after the Last Jedi. Is that too soon for another Star Wars movie? Because Rogue One was a full year after uh, Force Awakens, you know. Was that all? It was only five months. Yeah, Last Jedi was last was December. This came out in May, so you know, six months, I guess, six months. See, I fall into the camp. I didn't like the Last Jedi. I was disappointed in it on yep. so many levels, and so it felt much longer to me because I was waiting for the fun movie, and this one was fun. Right. And that, I mean, that that's what I wanted. I didn't want the whole. Are they going to die or is it going to... I was waiting to see how did Han and Chewie meet. I was waiting to see how were they going to set up the backdrop story. How did he get off Corellia? When did he... Did, were they going to show him getting kicked out of, of uh, the Imperial... I think he was trying to go into the Navy and he got kicked out and he ended up in the, the infantry foot soldiers or artillery or whatever. That's what I that's what I really like, the backstory, because it mm-hmm. sets up and, and then you can go back and watch A New Hope completely fresh. Right. Right, with new it eyes, changes the perspective. Yes. Yeah, uh, I think, I think that like when you said you didn't like Last Jedi, and there are a lot of people didn't really like Last Jedi, and that's a whole other discussion of why. Um, I think Last Jedi carries a little of the burden of the middle of, middle movie of a trilogy. Of, often has that sort of trouble. Um, it because it doesn't resolve anything and it doesn't start anything. You know, uh-huh. so so but a lot of people have been unhappy about. Um, 
even Force Awakens and then The Last Jedi. And so that I think there's a little bit of that carrying over, like a little bias against Star Wars. And then we hear that there's, oh, there's there's been this problems with this movie and it's not as good. And 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 maybe there's a little bit of uh, movie fatigue because everyone went and saw Avengers <laughs> and everyone, you know, I don't know if, if as many saw Deadpool, maybe not. But like there's all these other movies and maybe maybe people will just are are like they've their their budget for movies is tapped i don't know i mean this there might be a lot of reasons um but all that said the big thing is go see the movie folks if you haven't seen it of course we're talking to people who've seen it but <laughs> i don't know maybe it just has to do with a, a cast of characters that are aren't as familiar to everybody <coughs> right I, apart I, from I han the <laughs> yeah. right i enjoyed the 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 acting um but, you know, they're not the ones that you grew up with. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's Alden. So let's talk about some of the, the, the characters and the actors. Uh, Alden Ehrenreich is not Harrison Ford. Um, and I gather, uh, again, I've done some reading, and I gather that uh, when he was, when they first started filming, he was trying to do Harrison Ford. And, like, they had to pull him aside and said, Alden, don't do that. <laughs> like, you, you're not going to be Harrison Ford. Just, just be you being Han Solo, yeah, and which is which is different. Um, and so he kind of took that on. I, I would say that Alden Ehrenreich, in my opinion, and you guys can weigh in on that. I don't know if he was the best actor in this movie, but he did a fine job, right? I found myself right. a couple of times thinking, "Oh, he captured the Han Solo look. Oh, he's standing the right way. Oh, he yep. must have studied the other movies to see." how he swaggered or, or what kind of wrinkle or furrow of the brow would come about. So I thought that was good. I had a little more issues with his dialogue and the way he spoke. And it took me the first movie. I, I didn't peg it. And I was halfway through watching it a second time. And it hit me that I, mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but he sounds to me like Leonardo DiCaprio playing Jack Dawson on the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Well, figure. <laughs> I, had, I had a similar reaction, but I think as the movie got on, I, I seemed to sense that he got better at the cadences that you expected from Han Solo. I mean, I, I can't think of an, an exact uh, instance, but I, was, I just remember like he said that and, and he pegged it, you know, the cadence. Right. Right. It didn't sound like him, doesn't look like him, but it's like, OK, he got that one right. <laughs> yeah. like I think in the more high pressure situations. Um, there were, uh, you know, like, you know, I got a good feeling about this, those, those certain lines that he really, he really nailed. Um, and there was a scene where he's with Kira and I think it's, this, it's in the trailer as well, where she says something to him about, you know, I know, I know something about you that, that nobody else really knows. And he kind of gets this smirk, but he's uncomfortable and it's like awkward. It's like, oh, oh, is that right? And it's like that, that was Total, that was totally Han Solo that I, I'm putting on the swagger, but I'm a little uncertain here. Uh, there was I mean, I think he did. a, I think he did a good job. Um, uh, there was you mentioned some uh, uh, Shelley, some of the poses. He totally nailed the uh, the 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 Han Solo with the blaster pose where he, he kind of put one arm back and one arm forward. He did that like several times. I noticed uh, in, including on Kessel when he's backing up the ramp, which was totally a callback to, or a call forward to uh, a new hope when they were escaping from the Death Star uh, or, or, or uh, Mos Eisley even. 
so uh, th- those were those were good. Um, so yeah, as far as all the actor Alden Ehrenreich went, you know, went, he, like I think we are in agreement. He was fine. Uh, so let's talk about the character Han Solo. I mean, we we find out that Han is uh, he's an or- orphan or abandoned. Well, that's actually uncertain. Um, some of the 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 book stuff that I've I've been reading uh, it suggests that he's more, he, he's actually more of a runaway. I think, but he's living on the streets. He's been t- picked up by a by a street gang that you know that runs kids, street kids. It's a a thing we have in our societies, unfortunately. Um, and, um, he's trying to get out and he's got this girl, Kira, that they're trying to get out together. They're obviously in love. And, um, this is a, this is a young, uh, much less cynical Han, uh, a, a much more optimistic, um, less certain of himself in some ways, uh, but still trying to talk his way out of things and just not succeeding. I mean, that's one of my favorite things is in a force awakens where he's like, Oh, I'll talk my way out of it. I can always do that. And, and Chewbacca's like, you never do that. Like you never, you never successfully talk your way out of anything. And, and it's, we see that here. Um, so he's young. He's, he's more optimistic. You know, I got a good feeling about this, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and, and he's trying to, you know, he's got this, this hope to, to make a name for himself. Um, which is very different from the Han we see in A New Hope. By then, he's older, uh, more cynical, more jaded. Um, he's been in the life for a while now. This is supposed to take place what ten years before A New Hope. I think that's what the, that's what I've seen it say is that it's about ten years. Yeah, I, I spent a little bit of time in the beginning of the movie. I kept leaning over to my husband and saying, "How old do you think he's supposed to be?" <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did have to Google and look around, and I found the Star Wars Wikipedia page that they say Han is supposed to be 32 years old in A New Hope. And this is 10 years prior. So that makes him 22 during the bulk of this movie. And it makes him 19 when we first see him on Corellia. Yeah. So he's he's got the foundation of his street smarts. He can boost any speeder. He can get himself in and out of tight spots. I wasn't sure if they were scavengers or if they were pickpocket thieves, a la Oliver Twist. So he grew up a lot more like Ray. And so by growing up more like Ray, alone, a scavenger, kind of learning to fend for them, himself, I see now looking at A Force Awakens, The Force Awakens, where they had that instant connection with each other. And so, um, yeah, I, I forgot where I was going with that. But. <laughs> well, you make an interesting point about him growing up on the streets. There, Apart from Luke, who grew up with his aunt and uncle, so even that's an unusual situation. Like every child in Star Wars, well, yeah, every child in Star Wars has a bad beginning. I mean, even Leia, who's a princess, is adopted, although she doesn't really know it. So I suppose we can put a pin in that, um, or, you know, put a star next to that one. But, you know, Rey is an orphan. Finn is an orphan. Ah, um, uh, uh, Finn was potentially she then was stolen from his parents. We don't right. know if he was an orphan or stolen. Well, okay, let's say separated from his family at a young age. We'll put it that way. Um, uh, ben Solo, there's something... Some, we don't know exactly about his past, but he definitely had a bad relationship with his parents. Uh, that that didn't end up well. Uh, the, we, um, you know, it's just... And now Han, and like everybody has this... 
this this bad upbringing. And I wonder, like, I just, I just, you know, as you were talking about that, it just occurred to me, like, I wonder what is that? Why is why is that coming out so much in Star Wars? Or what is it saying? Uh, you know, is or is this part of the you know, what we call the hero's journey that they that in 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 our in our stories and our myths, the hero often comes from modest uh, upbringing from a bad from a bad place and overcomes that. Maybe that's what it really is. Maybe it's it might even be overused too much. I mean, even Luke was separated from his parents and it it becomes a convenient way of showing, you know, someone who succeeds on their own merits as they get older, you know, they be, they they change themselves and become, you know, bigger than where they started. It, it, it's kind of the American success story too though that you can yeah. come from anywhere and and raise yourself up and and become something better and more important. Right. I just wonder if there's anyone in Star Wars who had a nice upbringing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice middle class upbringing with with their, they're pretty they're settled. Maybe those people don't go out into the galaxy and join rebellions. It's all the stormtroopers who can't shoot straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Uh, so, uh, but so through the movie, one of the key things that Han is he's he's trying to be an outlaw, and everyone keeps telling him, or and especially Kira. You're not really an outlaw, you know, and Beckett kind of does this you're kind of a nice guy trying to be an outlaw. Like there's this this theme throughout and uh, and he's sort of the he's an innocent who wants to be a, the big man. Uh, and by the end of the movie, I mean, we have this that big moment at the end, that confrontation between him and Beckett. And and he does. That thing that that we all disputed that that George Lucas wanted to take back, Han shot first. Uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, I immediately when I saw that, I saw that. I was like, that was in there for that one reason. <laughs> yes. Although I have to, I have to give them credit to to the Kasdans, uh, the Lawrence Kasdan and his son. Oh, I forget his son's first name. Wrote the the script, and Lawrence Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back, and and was it's been involved in Star Wars forever. Um, but they didn't write like Beckett could have said, oh, you shot first. Good. Always shoot first, Han. Like they didn't do that. They didn't like like wacky in the face with it. They just kind of let you let you figure it out, uh, which. was yeah, nice. it, yeah. If you weren't real familiar with the, you know, the original stories, you might not have picked up on that. Right. Yeah, but he did say, I'm sorry, Steve. Oh, go ahead. He, he did say uh, smart move, kid. I would have killed you. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and but and that's a that's a big a big step for for Han there. I mean, he 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 pulled the gun and he shot the the man who did like Beckett was going to kill him but hadn't pulled the gun. And that's a that's a big deal to to shoot first there, you know, to not even give him a chance. Um I thought the way they filmed that too was great because they they panned down. They they went to the shot at uh, Beckett's waist. Mm-hmm. And you saw his finger in that leather glove. You saw it touch the trigger and you knew he was going to shoot and just boom. And you're like, oh, my goodness. He shot first. <laughs> Han shot first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, and here he was. Well, I'm going to tell you the most important thing that right. you need to know. Here's here's this guy who's almost the role of mentor guiding him and teaching him that, that Han is emulating in some ways. Uh, the first potential adult uh father figure mentor to him mm-hmm. and uh he was gonna shoot him 
Yes. He was going to kill him. That was the most important thing. Don't trust anybody. Um, Han finally listens. People are predictable. Trust no one. Assume everyone will betray you. Um, and Han says, you know, that's a really lonely way to live. Right. Right. And, and, and he does live it. I mean, because Kira betrays him, Beckett betrays him. This, but there's, doesn't. but there's someone who never, like, will never betray him. I mean, Han Solo without Chewbacca right. is, is a very different character, isn't he? Yes. Han Solo does not become Beckett and does not live a lonely life because of Chewbacca. He, he does trust Chewbacca, I think, 100% implicitly. They, they need each other. Yes. Yeah. I, I remember thinking at the end of the movie, you know, we learned that Solo gets the name because he gets the Solo part because he doesn't have a last name and he's alone. So he says, okay, you're Solo. But then from that point on, he's never alone in the rest of the movie. Right. So he's not Solo anymore. <laughs> right. Well, it's and that's the thing is, is whenever Han – in any of the movies, whenever Han gets separated, whenever he's alone, that's when he's in trouble. That's when he that's when he's at his at his worst. Uh, it you know, it, whenever he's not with someone else, um, Han needs to, you know, he needs Chewie. Eventually he needs Leia and, and Luke and, and, and all that. It, it And that's that's one of the important lessons about Han is that he's Han Solo, but he needs somebody. Um Shelly, I want to go back to that. You mentioned that great shot uh, of of Beckett getting shot um, with the way they framed it. That was a that's a Western movie shot. Um, that is that's how you would have framed it in the old John Wayne movies. And this movie was very much a Western in many ways. It felt like, you know, it had the train heist. <laughs> you know, it has the, you know, we're planning the big the big breakout and the, the, the gang and the I mean, this is this. You had the big baddie who. You might as well be wearing a black hat. Uh, you know, th this is uh, this is an old Western in space, which is one. I think another one of the reasons that I loved it so much, because it's again, it's a throwback to to those old those old movies. So do you know Firefly? Do I know Firefly? <laughs> Did you not? I'm like a leaf on the wind. I'm still crying. <laughs> the first time they showed that train and I'm like, it's it's the train job. It's right out of Firefly. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Because, you know, I think Nathan Fillion is a huge Han Solo fan. Oh, yeah. And um, Mel so he is Han Solo. Mel. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. the whole time I kept watching this thinking this in this one, Beckett is Mal. And yes. Han Solo is the one learning from him. Right. And it, it just I just kept saying it. And then when they honor the dead right after the train job, they're up on the ridge in the snow. With yes. The, and I'm sitting there going. Serenity. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Right? So uh, now here, here's one you may not know. In, in Firefly, there's actually two different Imperial spacecrafts in Firefly, in the movie Serenity, and then in, um, I think, in one of the episodes, in the pilot episode, you can see an Imperial shuttle in the background. And oh, yeah. if you watch, they had a prop. They had a little 12-inch replica of Han Solo, frozen in carbonite, and they stashed the prop all over the place in firefly it's like the ultimate easter egg that's so. awesome yeah the uh the, the i remember seeing the shuttle in the in serenity in the big scene where they were running the blockade and the reavers came out of the <laughs> cloud yeah i remember yeah i do remember seeing that um and i think the was that where the, the one where we saw the falcon in the background somewhere too um 
maybe, or maybe it was we saw um, uh, the the fire uh, the Serenity in um, in a Star Wars movie. Uh, there was one or the other. I forget what it was. Um, anyway, in the you know in the background, little Easter egg homages uh, back and forth. Um, so we mentioned we let, let's maybe um, move on. We can keep talking about uh, Han throughout, of course, but um, I want to mention uh, Chewbacca. And uh, that first scene uh, where Chewie meets Han um, in the in the prison, uh, and this has long been part of Star Wars lore. I don't know that it was ever mentioned in a movie. I was trying to trying to rack my brain, but I don't think it was ever mentioned in the movie. But it was always held that Han rescued Chewbacca from imperial slavery, and the, and Chewbacca owed Han a life debt. I think the in fact I think the idea of life debt might have come from the Star Wars holiday special, uh, but maybe not. I hope not because <laughs> I don't want that to be canon. <laughs> I blocked that from memory. Yeah. No, I I am not familiar with that at all. So that's that's new to me. Okay, so the, so apparently, like the, uh, the, the according to this, you know, the, the this um, you know, I don't know if it's canon anymore, but this uh, story is that the Wookies, if you save a Wookiee's life, they owe you a life debt. And so that's one. Of the, that's why uh, Chewbacca stayed with Han. Well, but but in in some ways, I like it better without the life debt because now it means Chewbacca stays because he's he's friends with Han, you know. Because you know he he wants to be there. It's not he doesn't feel an obligation to be there. I'm I'm sure by the time of A New Hope, you know Chewbacca is there because he's friends no matter what. But he kind of they they kind of make this connection in the in the prison and i love that scene so han has flunked out of flight academy he was going to be a, a pilot um flunked out and now they've made him a a, a ground pounder uh a, a regular soldier in the imperial army which again i think it's the first time we've seen non-stormtrooper soldiers uh in in the imperial army and uh of course he 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 messes up he he uh he he finds Beckett and his gang and gets them. Uh, he bugs them, trying to take him with him. And they're like, get away, get away from this kid. Hey, this kid's trying to uh, desert. And then they throw him, you know, what do you do with the desert? You throw him in the pit with the beast. Um, did you catch that? They said, well, we, we haven't fed the beast in a few days. So this should be interesting. Three che- days. Yeah. Chewie's a man eater. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little disturbing. <laughs> it was just like Luke and the Rancor. Yes. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. Um, yeah. And Jabba, it was what, Jabba's Palace in Return of the Jedi? Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it, it also makes you think that Chewie actually had done that before. Right. So that- he must have <laughs> killed people or eaten people or something before. And I'm, I'm not, don't want to dwell on that. That's going to yes. change my whole perspective. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Chewie eating the porgs was, was bad enough for me. I mean, that, that really disillusioned me, so... You know, Dom, you said that uh, the question of a life debt wasn't really in this movie, but you could argue also that it is in the movie because Han is the one who helped Chewie escape from that dungeon. Right. He was chained. He was in that with that that bar. And where did Han learn to speak Wookiee? That was that was fun. That (laughs) That was was so much fun. And did you notice when when Chewie, when Chewie was burying him down in the mud and Han put up his hands like, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. And right before he started speaking Wookiee, he's in the exact same position as he is frozen in carbonite. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't recognize <laughs> that's, right. that's good. Good call. Good call on that one. That is great. I, I love the fact that 
that Han is speaking Shri. It's Shriwuk, I guess, is the is the wiki language, and he's speaking it very badly, very poorly. Um, but they but they subtitle it, but they never subtitle Chewie. Chewie is never subtitled in any movie, and I like that. Um, one of the things I, I read was that they actually um, in in the script. All the actors, like they, they said, this is what Chewie is saying, so that Han would always know exactly what Chewie's line was. But they, but we don't hear him say it. So it was, I, I like that fact. But, but I, I just, I like the way. I have to say, this was the best Chewbacca movie we've had. Like you know, what I mean, this is the, I, I, and I like this new, this new actor playing him, a uh, Junus, oh, a uh, Junus Swot, Swotomo. I. He's, um, I think he's Norwegian or, or uh, he's some Scandinavian country, um, but he's taken over for Peter Mayhew, who's who's um, he's too ill uh, to to put on this to put on the suit and do the acting anymore. Um, he's uh, he, he because of his height, um, he's got uh, congenital problems with his uh, limbs, and so I think he's wheelchair bound now. So. Uh, but uh, this uh, Juna Sotomo, who's um, been Chewbacca in uh, Force Awakens, they, he was actually with Peter Mayhew uh, doing it together, and then uh, he he was in did all of it in Last Jedi, and now in this. Um, I, I but I, he he does a great job, and just I love Chewbacca in this. He's so great. Um, he's got some great moments, some great lines. Um, that moment when Chewbacca climbs into the co-pilot seat for the first time. Beautiful. That was an awesome moment. And they hit the, the hyperspace levers together. And that was that like, finally our team is together. Um, well, and the music, did you hear the music then? Yes. You yes. got that main star Wars theme you know, kicks in, uh, you know, he Kira's in the seat and Han's like, uh, divert the artillery power to the defensive shield. She's like, what? what? And Chewie's just like reaching over. Boom, boom, boom. He's like, she looks at him. She's like, excuse me. I think I'm in your seat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he sits down. They look at each other and we're all in the audience going, yeah. yeah. Is, that where, is that where they give the line? Like he's what? 190 years old yes, or something yes. like that. <laughs> where did you learn to fly? Wait, you're, you're 190 years old. <laughs> you look good. <laughs> I love that. Fun. It was fun flying too. That whole scene. Yep. It was. It, I know. I keep saying the word fun. I could come up with a more interesting word. But <laughs> that's what it just. I, I found myself smiling during the film. Well, that's what you want from again from a Star Wars movie. You want the Millennium Falcon out flying uh, Imperial Tie Fighters and you know doing crazy tricks. I mean that was that was great. Uh, the, um, the 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 flying through the the Kessel Run. Flying through the Maw, which both are uh, references. So we knew we had heard about the Kessel Run, but the the nature of it uh, was something we'd only had in uh, the expanded universe and some of the novels. And and so they grabbed that nature. It's the the Maw and the other aspects of the the reason he could do it in under twelve parsecs was because you had to usually fly a very safe route, uh, a roundabout, and he went cross country, so to speak. Um, that comes from the novels, and so it's another reference. Um, I had a I had a couple issues. Um, at one point, this I think Kira says, "What's that noise?" And oh, that's the stuff you know crashing into each other in in the maw. And it's like, how did she hear anything in space? 
<laughs> like, I'm not sure that's how that works. <laughs> but uh, I was a little disappointed that the Kessel Run, I always thought it was some sort of a race. And yeah. I, I did not read enough of the the novelizations and the backstories to to pick up that it was a route that you took to get to the, to this planet. Mm. And I don't know why I just uh, it, it felt like they got there really quickly. You yeah. Know, explaining that they had this. We haven't talked about L3 yet, but we, they had this this droid with the entire library archives of, you know, every navigational database known to the universe in her brain and or her system and so they, they they got there really quick and then when they're leaving oh sorry best scene when that imperial destroyer is right oh. there and you're like oh. yeah the lightning and he's like shows well let's it. take yeah. a shortcut <laughs> Boom. It, the shortcut took like 15 minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're still caught in the maw the the creature's still there Drop the drop in. You're like, oh, guys, come on. Hurry up. I thought you were supposed to do this in 12 parsecs. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that, that's one thing I really appreciated because I remember back when I watched A New Hope from the back in 77, right? And they were talking about 12 parsecs. And it, it made it sound like they were talking about time. Yes. When it's really distance. And they actually made it clear in this movie for the first time that it's distance, not how long it took. Yes. And I, and I really, I mean, anybody, you know, that's really into sci-fi knows that a parsec is a measure of distance and not a measure of time or speed. So I, I was glad that they finally made it clear in the movie. <laughs> yes. They fixed that. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure George Lucas knew what a parsec was when he said it, you wrote it in the original script. <laughs> Probably not. You know, people were still, you know, figuring out Star Trek back then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, with that, with the Kessel Run, I could have done without the monster. I just think the monster was just. True. A, a little too much, a little extra. I, it, it, I think it was unnecessary. Um, you know, because you've always, at least this time they didn't have a, a, another big super weapon, but it's just, you always got to have a, the bigger monster in, I don't so know. It, it reminded me of, uh, I think it's Phantom Menace. Is it, is that, no, what's the very first, what's the god awful first one with Jar Jar Binks? That was Phantom um, Menace. Yeah. Phantom, okay, Menace, Phantom yeah. Menace. They're going through the water and there's the small fish, then right. the bigger fish, then there's the, the great big fish. There's always a bigger fish. Right. And then also I kind of got the whole uh, the, the other feeling that came to me was in Empire Strikes Back when right. they land in the asteroid. The space slug. Exactly. Yeah. And so they come flying out and out it comes. And I thought, oh, maybe this is some sort of a throwback, throw forward to those those feelings, those kinds of, of yeah. events. But I'm with you. I could have done without it. It was enough that they were caught in that weird maw gravity well. Right. Right. Um so, so we talked about Chewie. Um, let's talk about the other big character that we're that we're so glad to see finally in this is uh, Lando and Donald Glover. Now, I have to say, where Alden Ehrenreich, you know, he really didn't do um, Harrison Ford. Donald Glover, that first line, the first time you hear him speak, I, if I'd closed my eyes, I would have said Billy D. Williams. I mean, mm. perfectly done. And maybe they had Billy D. Williams record it. I don't know. And they, you know, they looped it over. It was so, and I think, I think it was intentional because the rest of the time it wasn't quite as Billy D. Williams, but that first impression really came across. And I, I thought Lando in this was awesome. I just, he, he's, he's the Lando we see in, um, in Empire 
is he's older, he's more settled, he's gone respectable, as Han kind of says to him. Um, this Lando is still young, brash, overconfident, arrogant, um, you know, loves his capes. <laughs> the capes yes. was, was a lot <laughs> of fun. It was so much fun. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I love this. I loved this Lando. Uh, he, he was so good. Glover nailed it. I mean, just yeah. nailed it. I love the, uh, the card playing scenes. I mean, not only is that another throwback to Westerns, yep. but it gave him a great means to show that relationship between them and how it kind of came together and how they were always kind of sparring with each other from that point on. Well, and I love how they they misdirected us too, because we had that line in Empire where Han says that he won the Falcon from Lando in a card game, and so the first time we see that card game, we're expecting this is where Han wins the Falcon, but he doesn't because Lando cheats. <laughs> uh, and then at the end, when Han, you know, has figured it out and 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 takes takes uh, Lando back, and I I kind of I kind of want to believe that. They they actually play a few more games over time, and the the Falcon keeps passing back and forth between them. I don't know. It's just that's kind of I kind of would like to have that as part of the story. Um, well, I liked the way they set it up at the end, where when Han comes back and he's all upset, you know, you no good, double cruff, double crossing, scruffy look, at, you know, <laughs> and and Landa's like, wait, what, what? And then Han gives him that big bear hug, which we now know he was grabbing the, the card. And, yeah. Um, it's the exact same way that Lando greeted him on Cloud City. Exactly. And Empire Strikes Back. He comes up, why you know, what have you done to my ship? You, your ship. <laughs> you know. That's and great. Then they get that big hug greeting. It's the yeah. same. And you're just, that's what, and that's what made the movie so much fun. I, I would love to know from someone who is not familiar with the Star Wars universe, if they saw Solo and enjoyed it just on its own, for its own merits, for its own storytelling and cinematography but for those of us who grew up with it, it it captured all the fun little exciting parts that made us just love it even more because we kept going oh oh that's just like in a new hope oh oh that's right we we did that the same way in empire strikes back you know right so. yes and you're right when they do these things and they're somewhat subtle um you can notice them and you think about them but even if you don't notice them i think subconsciously it builds the, in our mind that this is the same story. This is the same, these same people that we're, we're making those connections to this familiar scene. Like you said, this from cloud city in our mind. And that's, what's making it better. You're right. I wonder, like my wife's not a huge star Wars fan. She's seen the movies and she has to live with six people who are star Wars crazy. So that's the, you know, so she can't help, but be exposed to it all the time. But, um, but she liked it. She enjoyed it uh, for what it was without having to all the extra baggage that I have uh, with all the knowledge that I have. Um, so a lot of fun. Uh, by the way, so I saw it once by myself and I have to see it first. And then if it's OK, we bring the kids and my kids range in age from five to twelve. And uh, and they they loved it. Um, and right at the la the end, the big the big reveal, the surprise reveal. Um, I looked over to my uh, 10 year old because I knew she'd be the one uh, who would love this the most. And when we saw Darth Maul, her, she turned to me, her eyes as wide as saucers and her mouth. And it, Oh, like, like, Oh, my. And like, she was like shocked and, and loved it. Like, she, cause she, 
I don't know. It's kind of scary. She loves the dark side characters for some reason. I don't know. She loves Kylo Ren. She loves Darth Maul and Darth Vader. I don't know what it is. I'll let a child psychologist uh, explain that. (laughs) But it was a huge moment because if you don't follow Star Wars Rebels or the Clone Wars, the last time you saw that character, he was cut in half, falling down a deep abyss. Exactly. And that was, even then, that was, what, 15, I was probably 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, So you're kind of going, wait, wait, what, what? How is he? Oh, so he's not supposed to be alive. So, to, so let, okay, let's talk about the the Darth Maul reveal. Um, he, he, as the head of Crimson Dawn, the the crime syndicate. Um, do, did you know? Had you so had you seen any of the animated series or know anything about Darth Maul after Phantom Menace? Either of you? I've seen Star Wars Rebels. Okay, so you knew he had survived. Yes. Okay, Steve, had you? Did you know he no. had survived? No. So I what? Didn't. What was your reaction when you saw that? Like, what did what was your first impression? Well, first of all, I, I was a little confused, and I was okay. like, "Who yeah. is that?" And it's like, "Oh, that's Darth Maul." And then I was trying to, I got distracted trying to piece it all together. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know all the backstory, and I was like, right. "How does this work?" You know, and so <laughs> then I was like, "Well, I'm just going to forget that for now and move on." <laughs> uh, that was a, so that I've heard from a lot of people who aren't like they haven't watched the other stuff because if you watched the animated series Clone Wars and uh, Star Wars Rebels. Uh, you 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 see the story of how Darth Maul survived and what happens to him in the interim, um, and then a- actually after this part of the story, uh, after Solo, where where he, where he ends up. Um, but I know people who didn't know that stuff, and they were confused. Some were like, "I thought he died. Is this a different character? Is this taking place prior to Phantom Menace? You know, like like which it, of course it can't because the Empire already exists, whereas the Empire didn't exist in Phantom Menace." Um, but you know, for, for me, I saw as, as I was shocked and surprised as anyone, because I didn't, ex- didn't know it was going to happen. Didn't expect it. I thought at first it might be the emperor cause the way they were doing it. Um, it, but then there's the mechanical legs, which he, which that that's how he survives apparently with the, the rage of the dark side of the force. And he gets the mechanical legs to replace half his body. <laughs> However, that works. And that didn't his brother rescue him or something like yes. that. Yeah. yeah. And he was insane for a while and getting, and then he got his, his faculties back and that sort of stuff. Um, but um, what was, I found uh, what I loved about this was that not only did they have Ray Park doing the body, like being the, the physical body and he was the original Darth Maul from Phantom Menace. They had Sam Witwer who does the, did the voice in Star Wars Rebels he he they had him doing the voice. So it's that continuity from Star Wars Rebels, uh, because we only heard Ray Park say a, f- a few very whispered things in Phantom Menace. But um, but in 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 we heard much more from him in Clone Wars and in Rebels. So um, I love that they they included those guys in the uh, in you know, bringing about this this super reveal. Um and, and and hopefully my hope is, you know that they optioned. Alden Ehrenreich said when he signed up for Solo that they optioned three movies for for him as Han Solo. My hope is is that, well, first that the 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 DVD sales or the, or the streaming sales, whatever it is, is enough to kind of convince. Disney that whatever mistakes they made in marketing the movie, they 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 can recover from that by if they make another solo movie, because I really, really want 
another solo movie. And I really want it to be something about Kira and Darth Maul in Han. You know, that that another confrontation. Uh, but we'll see. Well, that you know, we, we can hope for the best on that one. Um, so you mentioned Kira. Yes. So let's talk about we- Kira uh, and, and uh, Amelia Clark. Um, who uh, people may know from um, Game of Thrones. She's uh, famous in that. She's done a few other things as well. Um, what do you think of Kira as as the this female protagonist or antagonist, as we find out? Well, well personally, I enjoyed her role and her acting at the beginning of the movie before they get separated. And then when she comes back in later, you know, when she's... Um, when they meet again there in the future, I didn't like her character after that. I didn't like her yeah. acting. There yeah. Was something about it. I just, maybe it was because of game of Thrones or something. I was just like, I don't, I don't really like you in this role. And that's just my personal opinion. Um, I just, I, wonder, I don't know. I just didn't like it. I wonder if it had to do with the reshoots like that. The earlier stuff was done with, with some of the original footage and the later stuff. I don't, I don't know which was, which was reshot and which was original. But I wonder if if coming back, she wasn't inhabiting the role as well or something. Um, Maybe she just I, I expected her to be warmer or something. And yeah. I, to me, I just there was a discontinuity there that I, I, I couldn't quite resolve. But it, just personally, I didn't like it. I didn't like it as well. So I thought I could. Well, I thought she was stronger, uh, stronger and smarter than Han. Heads and tails. Yeah. I mean, she. But not in an in-your-face kind of way, which I like. I think it's- most people are str- smarter and stronger than Han. I, I mean, just just. <laughs> it, but but I think that's part of his his charm is he's not the smartest, he's not the strongest, but he seems to get by on his charm and wit. So she's in the beginning. You can tell she's got a different relationship with Proxima than Han. Yeah. She's already in good graces. She's already trusted and and kind of taken under the wing. And then when they escape and she doesn't make it out, uh, or I'm sorry, before they escape, they're in line. And, and he's saying we can go anywhere and do anything. And, and um, she says that, you know, you don't know what's out there. What's the worst thing that could happen? Being sold to the Crimson Dawn would be worse than belonging to Proxima. Right. And she just foreshadowed exactly what happens to her. They sell her to Crimson Dawn. So what happened to her in those three years? We know what he's been off, you know, been off doing and uh, in the Imperial Academy. But she learned more and lived more in those three years with Han. Uh, I mean, than Han. And how did she become Dryden Voss's top lieutenant? How did she come to know all the details about the universe and the crime syndicates and the 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 plots and the strategies? And I mean, she was smarter, I think, even than Dryden Voss. She was trained by Darth Maul. She was trained in the, um, oh, I forgot the name of the fancy martial arts. Teres Kazi. Thank you. <laughs> um, but at the same time, she she was owned by them. Yes. She had the tattoo. She had the necklace. It matched his ring. Um, when he, when she kills Dryden Voss, she doesn't hesitate. Yeah. I mean, she tells Han that little fib. She's a survivor, right. Beckett tells him. Yeah, it was obvious so, that she had become very cutthroat, had learned that as a survival mechanism. But to Steve's question, I do know that every scene with Dryden Voss was a reshoot. Yes, because they had, because they changed the character. They had a different actor playing Dryden Voss originally, and then he wasn't available for reshoot. So it was, uh, uh, Oh, I I have the note here, uh, who it was. uh, He was, he was in, um, 
The Wire. His name was Omar. Uh, the character was Omar in The Wire. Kenneth Michael Williams. Michael K. Williams. I think it is Michael K. Williams. That sounds right. Um, and he uh, he was the original Dryden Voss. And then when he wasn't available, they went and got Paul Bettany. And I got to tell you, Paul Bettany was was kind of awesome in this. Yeah. I love I love the way he was sort of unbalanced. Like one moment he'll he's murderous and ready to cut your throat, and the next minute he'll. Turn on a dime and like, well, you be safe out there because I want you guys to be safe. All right, be safe. Like, okay, you were just about to kill me and now you're telling me to be safe. Like, but just Paul Bettany is so great. But, um, well, and it wouldn't be a Ron, Ron Howard movie without Paul Bettany. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, Clint Howard. Clint Howard. Yeah, Clint Howard. Yes. I love that little scene with him in there. I mean, he always pops up in the kind of most un, uh, unexpected moments. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to be in a Star Wars movie. He's got to be in there somewhere. Um, L3, remove your hand from the mean man's face. Yeah. But so I don't want to I don't want to quick do a pass Kira too quickly because I, I had a couple thoughts, too. Uh, I, I felt like we didn't get enough of Kira in the sense of. I, like you said, she went, she lived all of this and she makes re- some references to I've done things that you would that you would look at me differently if you knew about them. But but I don't think I don't think they earn that in in that, like with just those few references. I don't feel like they earn Kira being this 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 bad guy. Uh, I, I needed more about her background. I'm not sure that the, the that we had time for it in the movie, which is, I think, why we didn't get it. Um, it's just the, the the constraints of movie making. But from a story perspective, I really felt like I needed a little more to buy Kira as this bad guy, you know, in, in Crimson Dawn. Uh, I, I couldn't figure out, was she was she a slave? Was she an employee? Is there a difference? Maybe, you know, I like is was there something romantic between her and Dryden Voss? There was all these unanswered questions. Um that I, I would have liked to have uh, had um, answered. Um, by the way, speaking of Dryden Voss, there's his uh, his office is full of Easter eggs. Um, oh. uh, Shelly, you showed me that before we recorded the cover of the uh, was it Han Solo and uh, was it the which which one was the, it? the Lost Legacy? Yes, huh? it was. So it was a, a book from the 1980s by Brian Daly. Uh, and there's this big crystal skull on it, which is part of the story. The warlords of Zim, their crystal skull, and that crystal skull was was on the set, which is awesome. Prominently, <laughs> prominently, yes, you, you you couldn't miss it. There was Mandalorian armor like Boba Fett's. There was um, even some uh, Indiana Jones stuff. There was the uh, the stones from the Last Crusade were there. Uh, not I'm sorry, not oh. Last, uh, the Temple of Doom were there. Yes. Um, and- I didn't see those. Yeah. I don't know where they were. I watched for them closely, but I did catch the one from Raiders of the Lost Ark. The the, the uh, Golden Idol. The temp- yes. The, the Hovitos. <laughs> oh, that was in there. I missed that. <laughs> now it's you have right to watch below it again. the crystal skull. Okay. So when they're talking and they've got Han and Kira on the couch and they start moving the scene from one side to the other, that's when you look behind them. There's a couple. It's it's framed perfectly dead center, but your eyes go to the crystal skull. Okay. You have to look below it. It's really small. It's not tiny but it's it's short and squatty so and there's a whole bunch of different type of heads and skulls and and items that are that look almost uh they've got a a very cultural feel to it and and so you got to look in yeah and and there it is right there 
that's actually one thing I want to say uh, say about the movie. Uh, by the way, in general, I found it very dark. It, not not in tone. I mean, like literally in in light. It was hard to see some things. And I saw it in three D the first time, um, and then I saw it in two D the second time. And frankly, it didn't really need three D. Uh, I didn't feel like it added much. Um, uh, but both times I felt like 3D sometimes can be darker like because of the glasses. But even without 3D, I found some of the scenes to be so dark that it was hard to tip. tip oh, hit my microphone. Sorry. Uh, so dark that I couldn't make out everything that was going on. But uh, I thought it had kind of the same feel as Star Wars Rebels. It had the same grit, that same uh, uh, not high quality polish. And, yeah. and I liked that. Um and, and again, back to Firefly, it, it felt the same way. The battle in Serenity Valley, it had the same darkness, uh, the trench warfare. Yeah. The, um, uh, what was I trying to say? There was there was a scene when they're in the beginning, when they're with the whatever Proxima, whatever character she was. Lady Proxima, yeah. Yes. Um, it's all very dark, dark grays and blues. It's very cold looking. Yeah. It doesn't warm up until you get out of there, but but. The colors they, they do that they go into in and out of play. Really, I mean the the you, the, the brightest part of it is um, once they get to the end. Um, oh, I forget the name of the planet where they refine the coaxium, and we could talk about the coaxium in a minute. But uh, we, we were they, that planet at the end. That's when suddenly everything is bright and uh, you can actually see everything. You're no longer in the uh, like you said the the dark grays and blues and browns uh of of the rest of the movie that's true i, I hadn't thought about that but um it really well, that's where Han and chewy became free yeah that's where they got their freedom so that should be the lighter airier part with the wind blowing and on the seaside and the whole everything out in front of them um so yeah i want to take a vacation on that beach that looked like a nice place <laughs> it's better than scarif is now let me just tell you scarif is no longer <laughs> a nice beachfront community uh, which actually got referenced against Scarf. Uh, check that off. Scarf got referenced. So uh, we talked a little bit about Dryden Voss. Um, there, um, let's talk about Beckett and Woody Harrelson. Uh, when I heard that Woody Harrelson was going to be in this movie, I was a little leery because Woody Harrelson is one of those guys, sort of like Jack Nicholson. He's like Jack Nicholson is. Jack Nicholson, the Marine, and Jack Nicholson, the Joker, and Jack, like it's Jack Nicholson playing these roles, and Woody Harrelson's the same way. It's like sometimes it's it's just it's Woody Harrelson chewing scenery, except in this, he was much more restrained and much more the character. I I, I really liked Beckett as a character. He was complex. He was unpredictable or predict, predictably unpredictable in a sense. Um, I I liked him. Uh, I, I did too. I thought it was a great role for him. You know, uh, the, the the only thing that comes to mind other than this was um, in Mockingbird, Mockingjay, you know, where he played yeah. Hamish. Those, oh, those, yeah. And, you know, basically he was just drunk the whole time. Right. Um, but in this, I thought, it, like you said, it was a much more uh, complex character. And I really liked I really liked his performance in, in this role. If, if any. He, he did well. Yeah. If anything, I wanted uh, the, 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 if there was a lack, I wanted him to have a stronger reaction to the loss of Val. Um, so, so let's so where we when we meet him, he's got his gang. He's got Val, his wife or longtime companion of some sort, his girlfriend. Let's call her his wife. Um, and then there's Rio Durant, uh, who uh, voiced by John Favreau, and I love him as a character. Uh, he's great, and I'm sad that he you know got killed off so quickly. Um, and they're doing this train heist, 
and um and you know it's the last their last it's the classic trope the last big score before they retire so that he can go play learn to play the valachord which is actually um an instrument that's referenced in um Star Wars Galaxies the multiplayer role playing game which is another one of those references uh and and then she she sacrifices herself um and he's sort of like oh that's a shame <laughs> and then he kind of moves on and i just i just i didn't i didn't buy that part um how did you react what was your take on that it, not as not as much as mine yeah i mean i i don't know i I really don't know how to characterize it. I mean, it didn't, it, I didn't think it was, to me, it just didn't seem like it was a necessary part of the story, the way, the, uh, the reaction, you know, it, I just, yeah. it seemed like, like you said, he just kind of moved on and I didn't really dwell on it at that point on how I reacted. It didn't really okay. mean anything to me either way. Okay. I think it was more that, that life is fleeting and he had to lose his whole crew in order to, to allow Chewie and Han to, to stay with him. He always, you know, something about Han intrigued him. And then I think it was uh, Rhea that convinced him to bring on the, the team because of the Wookiee. <laughs> right. Uh, I love that part, by the way, the fact that it was that, Chewbacca that that Han really got yeah. uh, pulled into it. Yeah. And I know Val tells him, you know, you, you sometimes you put your faith in the wrong people. And they're always talking about freedom, freedom to do what they want to do, freedom to to be who they want to be. And when she's trapped on there and she realizes that it's it's the job and potentially him or, or her, um, she gives it up. I mean, she's just like, what? It's been a ride, babe. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then he's upset when it first happens, but he's in a moment. It's either lose your head and get emotional or that's it, game over. And then once it's done, it, he's very pragmatic. And I think Han took a lot of that um, with him. Hmm. Uh, it just it is what it is, and it, you got to keep living this life. You got to keep moving forward. Maybe you're right that, and plus he had the whole problem of Dryden Voss to face, uh, to kind of keep him focused, and maybe that was a, uh, enough to keep him on uh, with, from melting down in that moment. Maybe, yeah, so maybe maybe I am off base on that. That you made a good point. Well, uh, did you did you uh, maybe you know more about the backstory than I do? I mean, is there supposed to be a close relationship among these? Or is it just a, you know, they're a gang of convenience? Well, I, I think it was pretty clear that Val and and Beckett were an item and that I, they were an item yeah. together for a long time. So um, I don't know if they were supposed to be. I, I kind of got the sense that they were a, uh, uh, a, a, a gang that had worked together for a long time. And and they, I did too. they talked about like uh, they referenced that, oh, we could have got Bosk for this job or we could have got. The Zan sisters, both of which are references uh, to other characters that we've seen in other movies or other books. Um, and uh, but but like a lot of classic um, heist movies that depict a gang, there's always this core group uh, like like Ocean's Eleven. You know, that, that's a, a great example is you have, you know, Danny Ocean and there's other ca- characters that he all he knows and they've done jobs together. Um, some of them he does. He always does the jobs with always and others he brings in as he needs them. Um, and I felt like that's kind of what we had here is he had the core group of Rio, Val and uh, and Beckett. And then that they would bring in other people as they needed. 
um, you know, Rio was the pilot, Val was the was the crack shot, uh, and Beckett was the brains. Uh, that was sort of, and it, which is actually kind of like again, like Firefly, if you think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I was waiting except, for you. <laughs> except the married couple is the is is the is the pilot and the the crack shot, um, the muscle. Um, I guess I just didn't pick up on the idea that Rio was the integral part of that. Yeah, but maybe 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 I just missed that. No, I, it might be my reading into it. I think it's either, I think both are valid ways of taking it. That's I think that's how I kind of latched onto it because of uh, my bias for you know the the sorts of stories I've seen where that's been like that. But it could just I don't think it, I don't think there's anything in the story either way for that. Um, one of the things like the the whole thing with Val giving up her life in that moment. So, so I've heard some people talk about why did she why did she kill herself? Do, wh- why was that necessary? I mean, they're not on a mission for the rebellion to save the galaxy. They're stealing stuff. Uh, so for their freedom. Yeah. Well, yeah. So to get out from under. They were going to do the job. This was the last job, like you said, and then they'd be free. They could go and do what they wanted to do. They'd have the cash to get out of this life. They're someone's always controlling them. They're they're right. always being. They're always serving someone else. So she um, gave never her serving their own wishes. So she gave her life so that Beckett could be free. They couldn't have gotten the train car off if she hadn't blown up the bridge. Right. She couldn't get off the bridge in time to blow it up. She had to sacrifice herself to blow up the bridge. Right. Um, and we all know how that, you know, what happened there. But right. uh, great cinematography, though. I mean, the, the the scene where the bridge blows up and half the train's going down and they're yelling, Chewie, you got to uncouple the car. And <laughs> off it goes. And, and, and there's Infus Nest going off on one side and, and uh, Han piloting the that, that wonderful ship off on the other. And it's just beautiful. It was just. It was oh, and then the, the, the mountain collapsing after the explosion was that was just a great effect. Right. Yes implosion explosion you're just like whoa do that again <laughs> so i heard some people ask you why did they have to blow the bridge why did they just lift the train off the tracks and I, I i don't know if people know it's it's a design the way they designed the train was that it's a monorail so it kind of holds onto the track it's wrapped around it so you can't just lift it straight up it has to be disconnected or slide off the end you know if you can imagine um, so I think that's why they why they had to do that, or they I mean at least they designed it that way so that they would have to blow it up. I guess maybe I mean it's a classic train heist thing where you blow the bridge to to get the steel to stop the train. That's that's a you know that's a but train. It was heist creative. Thing. You had that tilty train thing. I could almost see that in like Six Flags or uh, one of the amusement parks. You know, <laughs> I was it's thinking the tilty of, train and you keep rotating. I'll be coming of, to Star Wars Galaxy in Disney World when that opens. <laughs> oh, I was kind of thinking of the monorail at Disney World. I mean, it kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> <laughs> monorail oh the classic simpsons episode <laughs> um so so they uh we have so we had val um and we had rio uh and we have beckett um i guess one of the other characters we haven't talked about yet is l3 um now i gotta point out her name is l337 which is sort of a re- i don't know if it's an anagram but it's sort of if you you can reverse it but it's also leet speak for leet, like uh, elite. So L, it sort of spells out using uh, the letters and numbers a, a, a version of elite, uh, that idea. So she is a self-built droid in, in the sense of she's self-modified. So you, if you look closely, she's got 
her arms are pieces of astromech um uh leg and she's she's completely customized and she's got literally a mind of her own where she 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 is all about droid rights and droid freedom which is which is a a topic that star wars fans have been debating for ever since star wars came out which is these droids are sentient beings they have independent thought and and even emotion and they're essentially slaves aren't they if they're they have owners and they confront that here they don't really solve the the question but they bring it up which is fun um yeah go ahead and you saw that in a new hope too when they come in and and the bartender says hey we don't serve their kind here (laughs) and you don't think of it much when you're a kid watching it for the first time but when you watch this movie you're like really aware of it because she's so sarcastic i mean she's oh yeah everything that comes out of her mouth and she's she's completely in control and and I don't know if you caught it. She was the she, so she, they go in. She, she's already showing her disdain for the the droids in the cage and the um, you know she's trying to talk about it. You're better than this, honey. You can do this. You can, they don't even serve our kind here. And you're like Star Wars: A New Hope, right? And then um, when they're on Castle, and she's trying to get the, one of the droids to do what she needs them to do, and and she's like, "Why aren't you answering me?" Oh, restraining Volt. Oh. Ugh. So she pops it off and all of a sudden the droid's like, wait, wait, I'm free. (laughs) And it's like, I don't care what you do. Go release the others. And so, boom, massive revolt. She's the first one to yell rebellion. Yes. For whatever reason, it caught my ears. And I was like, ooh, she was the first one. The droid. The rebellion. Right. The droid rebellion. It was the the rebelling, the uprising and rebelling. Just rebellion is at the, the core of Star Wars, isn't it? Uh, I, I love that. I just loved every bit of that when as they start freeing each other and they all start going berserk and everything. I loved that. That was awesome. And Londa's sitting in the Millennium Falcon going, uh, L3, uh, what, what's going on in there? She's like, it should look like a big slave uprising escape. I've created diversion. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. Well, the best thing is, is that is Beckett, it's just from the beginning, stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. First thing she does. No improvisation. Yeah. First thing she does, impro- improvise and send him off on the <laughs> the slave rebellion. Yeah, that was great. But speaking of which, by the way, uh, Han sitting in the Falcon recording his uh, memoirs. The, that ca- Lando. I'm sorry, Lando. Yeah, yeah. The Calrissian Chronicles, <laughs> which is which great. Which is a real book. Right, which is the Lando Calrissian book. So there's the Han Solo bo- books from the 80s and then the Lando Calrissian books. And he was recording... Uh, he, like the reference was to something from one of those books, the the mind harp of Saru or something like that. Um, it's chapter five. <laughs> right, chapter five. <laughs> I just love the fact that that again, Lando would be so full of himself that he would be writing his memoirs already. I mean, the guy's barely what, like maybe twenty five. You know, <laughs> he's already writing his memoirs. Uh, just that was Perfect. great. But then they have the, the the right the uprising, and L three, uh, and then. Uh, we lose L three. Uh, uh, well, let's let's back up just a bit. The there's a relationship between Lando and L three. Uh, kind of an and if, open question. And if you notice, he he referred to all the droids as you know my love, or you know he he used the terms of endearment with them. So he would say love or my lady, and he did it the first time I noticed it was when they were playing Sabacc. At the card table and a droid came by and did, uh, filled his drink or something. And, and he was all term of endearment. So he treated them 
as if they were human almost. Right. And uh, so, yes, that whole back and forth with L3, it, it, the whole girl talk thing that I, with Kira, that just, <laughs> oh, I, probably least favorite part of the movie, but yeah. it still was, it was still you just sit there going, ew. Yeah. Well, it seemed a little over the top to me, but it was still funny. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Like, well, I mean, the fact that, like, the the droid is projecting this relation, like this romantic relationship with, with Lando. Because she sees herself as a true person. And a true person, you know, has relationships with people and that sort of thing. And and so she's projecting this relationship with Lando. And you, and you, you like... So is Lando go along with it <laughs> or is he just or or is there an actual some sort of I mean, we don't have to get into the the, the, the prurient details, but just as like, is there other feelings? And there's something there, because when L3 gets zapped, you know, Lando falls apart uh, and has to be. Ca- and he runs out to her. Yeah. And, and he gets shot. Right. <laughs> and, he, and he cradles her, uh, you know, mm-hmm. in his arms. Um I I I do like the fact that they uploaded her brain into the Falcon. Um, that's that's one of the 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 bits of canon lore is that the Falcon's main computer is actually consists of three droid brains. That was the uh, that 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 goes way back to uh, years ago. Uh, this idea this it got mentioned somewhere that the I think in like what like a technical manual or something. Um, all that stuff is canon <laughs> apparently. Um, and in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, when they're when they're trying to fix the the, the hyperdrive, three PO makes this reference to. Um, I had the here. It's um, he says uh, your your you know your high your your the ship's computer speaks a very strange dialect that she picked up somewhere. I'm not sure. It's just a very strange attitude, and, and it's like oh that's L three. That's <laughs> you know she's still in there in some form. So uh, uh, and it also explains why both Han and Londo have such an affinity. To the ship, they refer to her all the time as she, right? Uh, which, which I know is is standard, but there's now you wonder if there's not a little something more when she'll hold together. Come on, baby, hold together, <laughs> right? Th- that there's a very strong relationship. I have to say, I really enjoyed seeing the Millennium Falcon at the beginning of the movie, all kind of bright and shiny and clean and everything. Yes. And by the time you get to the end of it, it's all beat up and, you know, <laughs> things are missing and everything. It's like, so that's how it got to look that way. Yeah. And the escape pod. There was yeah. an escape pod. It doesn't have the quite the same front look. And then they, they jettison it. And Oh, and you get to see all kinds of interior shots that you hadn't seen before. The right. bedroom, the closet. The cape closet. <laughs> yes. is, of course, it's a cape closet. Well, And the kiss in the closet is kind of like Leia and Han and the kiss in the, uh, when they were working on the show. Yeah. Well, so the, 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 the escape pod, that whole look of the Falcon comes from, I think, when the original Ralph McQuarrie drawings of the Falcon, when he was with that, he was the original concept artist with George Lucas before A New Hope. And, and that was one of the original designs. And then they cut, they, they, whatever, for whatever reason, they went with a twin mandible look. So I, I love that throwback. And then, you know, he, he ejects the escape pod in order to, to, to get away. Um, the the great line is is you know you know they're, they're standing on the shore they're looking at the wrecked Falcon Lando's like you wrecked my ship and he says I hate you and and Han says I know I know which is a great throwback <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when Leia says I love you and he says I know uh, so so good so good um, see fun that's what I mean the whole movie was just 
fun. So, uh, the so the now we come to the one character, and I don't, I don't know how how I feel about it, <laughs> and that's Enfys Nest, because it was sort of a, a inexplicable to me in some ways. Uh, so Enfys Nest is this antagonist who's dogging Beckett uh, wherever whenever he's on a job. Enfys Nest is there to kind of steal a, what you know the, the 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 stuff from him uh at the last second sort of like uh in Razor Lost Ark with Belloc and <laughs> and Indiana Jones where you know there, uh, once again we see Dr. Jones there's nothing that you can find that I cannot take from you and and this sort of emphasis so okay I I buy that but then the end it's take the helmet off and it's this girl young girl and she's a kind of rebel proto rebel baby um, it was very, I, I, I so what are we saying? <laughs> I, I was kind of We're, a little confused by that. So the one thing that, that got me was when we see a new hope, they're fighting the emperor, they're fighting the, um, the government for lack of a better word, right. the, the totalitarian government there. Uh, and we see that again in the first three movies. And this one kind of jumps a little bit because they're suggesting that the rebellion is against these crime syndicates. Because if you remember, I can't remember, was it a scroll or yeah, the, it was a scroll? The scroll at the beginning. But it's a yep. lawless time, a lawless time of crime syndicate where, where crime syndicates compete with each other for power and control and, and money. So really the emperor and the empire hasn't come crashing down in a heavy weighty way yet well the, the but, suggestion that the that the emperor is kind of uh once again he's he's using he's kind of supporting these crime syndicates allowing them to do their thing in order to justify his actions to to bring order to the to the to the galaxy right so she tells the story that and it's crimson dawn that crimson dawn are the mercenaries and they they come and they land on a planet, and each person represents that planet, one of the planets. Uh, they take the resources. And when the people shouted back, when they started to stand up and fight back for themselves, they had their tongues cut out. And so each of them represented a world that had been terrorized. And they come together, they were allies, and the war was just beginning. Um, and that's when they they ask him to join the cause. And he's like, I'm just trying to make it out of here alive. <laughs> right. You know, what, what cause? I don't care what cause a cause. And but, but that's that's where it really starts picking up. You start seeing that little spark of rebellion. So really, and, and I keep thinking now, Star Wars Rebels is what, five years from now. Right. And, and you, you start to see how it grows. And then at the end, when they're, They've got the, the money. And, and she says, you know, do you know what this is? And he's like, yeah, 60 million credits. You can do anything. you, you know. And she's like, no, this is the blood that brings to life something new, a rebellion. Right. And you're like, oh, <laughs> Han was there at the very beginning of it. Han Han was one of the reasons that that Han fun, Leia, yeah. years later will be running from, the, you know, Han oh, funded the rebellion together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Han and they, they kept trying to recruit him. <laughs> and she, she says, we, 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 you know, we, we need warriors and leaders like you. And I'm sitting there going, oh, wait, isn't Leia going to say that to him in 10 years? Right. You know, stick around. And, and Luke's going to say that. You, you come on. You know what they're up against. You've seen he's like, 
yeah, already been all around this galaxy. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and he so keeps chasing the money. <laughs> yeah. So, well, this is the, so this like is, is an essential aspect of, of Han Solo, which is he's, he comes right out and tells Kira, I'm a scoundrel. I'm an outlaw. And she, and she sees right through him. She's, she says, you're, you're really not, you're a good guy. You're a good guy who wants to be an outlaw. And that's, isn't that define Han Solo for us? He's, he's the scoundrel. Like he takes the money in a new hope and he's leaving. And if, if Han doesn't come back, the Death Star blows away uh, Yavin 4, and that's the end of the rebellion. I mean, Han is key here. Uh, and, and once again, I mean, the, the Star Wars is full of these moments where if someone you know turned left instead of right, uh, everything would be different. So, and maybe that's maybe that's life anyway. But, um, but you know, it we see this here. Han, who could have just taken this money and ran, could have just you know said you know cut his losses and moved on or whatever. Uh, he no, he arranges it so that Enfys Ness can get the money. You know, get leaving him, you know, with a little bit to just get to the next place so that he can win the Falcon from from Lando later. But but certainly not assured that he's going to be able to do that. Uh, and you know, once and then later on, Han is once again in that position of take the money, go pay off my debt and and get back to my life of, as an outlaw. But there's something in him, you know, where he's, a, you know, a, a, a scoundrel. <laughs> You know, as as he's as Leia calls him, uh, but he's a good guy. You know, who, who at heart, um, and that's why we love him. Yeah, everybody's a reluctant hero on the good side, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Even Luke, you know, Luke just wants to go become a a pilot. You know, uh, you know, I, I I got too much too many responsibilities here. I don't want to. I don't want to go. And it's Obi Wan who convinces him. No, you have a you have a destiny uh, to fulfill. Um. I mean, if anybody is not reluctant, it's Leia. Leia is sort of the driving force. Leia is a is is type triple A personality, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, so, um, anything else we want to uh, to bring up? I mean, there's so many. There's a lot of the uh, the references. Um, we hear the Imperial March in the in the movie. The, I, I love the fact that now the Imperial March is the official music of the Empire. Uh, so when when Han is escaping from Corellia and he enlists, he looks over and sees a recruitment center for the Imperial Army, and it's showing like a recruitment video and playing John Williams' Imperial March in a major key. By the way, I don't know if the music people would know better what that means, but it's more upbeat as opposed to the the, the ominous minor key. Um, so I love the fact that that's actually now in, a part of the of Star Wars canon internally. Uh, John Williams, um, the music for the movie. By the way, I don't know if either of you are music, you know, uh, 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 nerds like I love soundtracks. Um, I'd say the John Powell soundtrack. He's he did most of the music. Was serviceable. It was didn't I? I don't. I can't think of anything particular of his from this that really stands out. But the John Williams stuff that they brought in the the Han Solo theme, the the you know the the asteroid field uh, music. Uh, you know, the Imperial March, the other bits of Star Wars music from John Williams was w- incredibly well, you know, used in this. Uh, I love that. I think he had, he adapted the themes very well. Um, I, the music did not stand out to me, which in my opinion is good because the movie was what I was watching, but it kept, it kept the emotions going 
And when you needed that extra oomph, he'd bring that theme up and you'd notice it. Right. And you'd get that swell and that feeling that John Williams was so good at evoking. And then it would come down. We stayed through the whole credits and I, I liked the credit music a lot. Right, I did too. I did. Did you catch the snares, Steve? The snare. The snares in the, the, the snare drums being used in the, the Okay. I, I guess I missed that oh, part. But. I'm going to go have to listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I agree with what you're saying, Dom. I think you needed those little John Williams little snippets in there to sort of tie everything together, you know, right. and, and give it uh, credibility in a sense. Yeah. The, the, the John Williams genius is that his music doesn't intrude, but it's almost like, I don't know if it's almost like another character or, in the, or, or if he's like a second director in that, he he imbues scenes with the emotion and the and, and without being manipulative, but imbues the scenes with the emotion that you're supposed to feel at that time. Not like, hey, everyone feel happy. It's more like I feel happy and the music is making me happy or I, I feel, uh, uh, you know, trepidatious and the music reflects that. You know, it, it's just it's his, it's his genius. And, you know. It's to everyone else's detriment to try to live up to, you know, stand next to the giant of John Williams uh, to to try to to try to do that. Um, so, uh, so there's the oh Dom yeah I'm I, we were talking about the credits just there mm -hmm. and did you and if, Steve you said you stayed for the credits yeah did you notice that there was actually somebody in there who is the um, keeper of the holocron. No. Oh yeah, uh, I've seen that. I've seen that guy on YouTube uh, in uh, the Star Wars channel has a has a show, and I've seen he has the best job ever. Keeper of the holocron. Yeah. I had to go look it up. I'm like, who is Leland Chi? Yeah, <laughs> he, he he literally has my like the dream, my dream job, which is his job is is to is to be the 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 keeper of all knowledge of Star Wars. Like so, the Star Wars story group they they. They synchronize all the all the all the stories. Every every uh, comic book, every book, every even the Disney theme park that they're building. In fact, there's references to that in this movie to the place. Uh, L three mentions the the uh, Black Spire, which is the town that's that's part of Galaxy, Star Wars Galaxies. But his job is is to is is continuity is to make sure that everything fits. Uh, with it and is in canon is in canon right um along with um pablo hidalgo who he writes all of these uh, all of the books that uh, the star wars visual dictionary and the star wars like the vehicles and starships book and th these books my kids all have and that they my son uh anthony obsessively reads every detail about every ship and vehicle in person uh mm -hmm. which is what i did when i was his age um Actually, I was a little older when Star Wars came out in a couple of years, but um, yeah, that's such a great. That's I, I. I was like, that guy has the best job ever. I don't know. Think of the pressure of trying <laughs> to keep everything straight, you know, and trying not well, to violate the canon somewhere. You know, <laughs> he's he's got the most amazing da computer database. Like he showed this database, and like if you can go on Wikipedia and things are linked to each other. This blows that away. This is this is literally. The holy script of mm -hmm. of Star Wars. It everything in there is is cross referenced and connected and referenced, and it is they they just show a glimpse of the of of the the database on his computer screen, but it's amazing. Um, and they've been they've been developing it for decades. Um, that's one of the geniuses. one article I yeah go ahead one article I found said eighty thousand re uh, total references or eighty thousand entries. 
yeah. or upwards of 80,000. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that, that does not surprise me at all. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's even more. So, uh, so does he, do you suppose he has a role of approving things? Like if somebody decides to write a new book or something, does, does, can he, does he give like the imprimatur to say, yes, you know, this fits? I, I think, <laughs> th- there is a, I think yes. I think yeah. he and Pablo Hidalgo, I, Pablo Hidalgo I saw was the uh, in charge of all story development. Yes. He makes sure that everything is in sync and cohesive with each other. So, right. yes. If, if an author writes That's a if you Right. If an author writes a book and he wants to reference a planet, he'll say, Pablo, I need a planet, blah, 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 blah. How about use this? Um, what would or 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 even better, like what would be a starship that would someone like this would fly and do this? Oh, that's this. Like he's really like would or or, you know, when did Han do X? And they would they would have this information. So all the stories are de- are developed in concert with you know it's co-authored with the story development group it is amazing uh that lucasfilm a long time ago so more than 20 years ago came up with this idea like when they started i think i, I guess when timothy zahn started writing the heir to the empire uh, trilogy back in the early 90s that they really implemented this um this continuity system which nobody else had ever done like you can like star trek for instance to give it contrast has had books forever uh, but the books often contradict each other, you know, or they contradict the TV series. They just, there's no, there's no continuity. I mean, frankly, Star Trek Discovery contradicts everything. So, you know what I mean? There's <laughs> the, they have no, they have no compunction about contradicting. Um, whereas with Star Wars, it's very opposite. It's v- they're, 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 some might say it's over controlling, but I say it's just, it, it, it's what fans expect. <laughs> they want things to work together. Um, but yes, Michelle, that's, that is the, the, the greatest job description job title ever um so uh i'm trying to think of any other uh little bits and pieces that might have been there uh chewy playing the 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 hollow board game called dejaric uh with beckett um and he the 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 move that he loses on is the very same move that r2 does on him that he loses then uh you know in, in 10 years later so chewy just does not learn anything about dejaric <laughs> Maybe that's why he reacts so strongly in, in A New Hope, you know, where he's like uh, rubbing his again. hair back and everything, you know. And it, he doesn't react quite that strongly in this one, but it's like, oh, not again. You know? And if you notice uh, in A New Hope, he says, uh, "I, you know, let the Wookiee win or it's not wise to upset a Wookiee. That's it. Right. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. And he's like, well, nobody ever worries about upsetting a droid. He says, that's because a droid don't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. <laughs> right. Wookiees have been known to do that. Well, flash forward to, or flash backward, or whichever flashing we're doing, go to the elevator. Yes. Where they're being led in as, as slaves slash prisoners, kind of all of the Death Star thing. Elevator doors close. What does Chewbacca do to the guard? He rips his arm. He rips, rips his, his arm arms off. And you're like, oh, Wookiee ripped his arms <laughs> off. Now, <laughs> I have to say, I was a little surprised because that's, that's a little that's a little gory for Star Wars. Like I have to. Uh, I mean, when he didn't see it. Right, right. When, when Obi Wan holds up the arm. Yeah, when Obi Wan cuts off the arm of the uh, of the uh, Aqualition in in the Mos Eisley Cantina, that was that was kind of a gory for for then. Um, but yeah, it, it was fine. It was just it, it sort of it bordered on it. But I loved Han's reaction was that was the uniform that was going to fit me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
But they kept the mask that Beckett was wearing because it's the same mask Lando Calrissian wears in uh, Return of uh, Return of the Jedi. Return yeah. of the Jedi. Sorry, it, Return of the Jedi when they rescue Han from, from Jabba's palace. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So th- there it is, and you're just like all these little things. Right. All these little things. Um, the reference to the Tatooine gangster that he w- they were going to go work for. That's Jabba, of course. Um, trying to think of some other any other. I mean, I, I, there there is like 30, 30 different videos and articles online of all the little references, and they're all slightly different. Like, there's so many references. I'm not sure even the Kasdans know all the references here. Um, even like the like I said, the Terrace Kazi reference that Kira's that martial arts that Kira does is a reference to an obscure PlayStation game called Masters of Terrace Kazi from like the late '90s, and the the younger Kasdan played it he, like he was he's a star wars nerd and he played it as a you know as a kid um so uh, uh, oh i like that uh, we see that han got his blaster from beckett um that he apparently has kept that all these years and that it's a convertible blaster it can convert into a rifle and then he takes the barrel off and the and the and the, the stock off and it becomes a, a hand blaster um what were those uh those cool they weren't like lightsabers but they were like light Blades, oh, like- the the Dryden Voss. I think those yeah. were supposed to be vibro blades, um, which would be similar to um, in uh, Last Jedi. Snoke's personal guards they had weapons that had a, a, a you know a a, bl- a light blade along the edge. So not exactly a lightsaber, but but it's a it's a vibro blade, which is something that has been part of Star Wars. Uh, I, I don't remember seeing that before, and I thought it was yeah. cool, but it seemed like. You could really hurt yourself <laughs> easily with one of those. <laughs> well, Star Wars is full of tools that you can really easily hurt yourself with. Um, well, speaking of, of lightsabers and vibroblades, apart from Darth Maul's lightsaber, this is the first Star Wars movie with no lightsaber battles and no Jedi at all yeah, or, or Sith. Let's say Jedi or Sith. I mean, even in Rogue One, we had Darth Vader in that amazing you know, walk through the hallway that I mean, it's Darth Vader at his, at his most powerful and scariest. Um, but, uh, but this is the first movie without any of that, which is very interesting to me uh, that they, that they went through. This is a star Wars, a part of the star Wars galaxy. That's more mundane, more every day, not they, they're not saving the galaxy here. They're, they're, they're doing a, a job and their lives are on the line, but that's about it. Well, remind me in, in a new hope had, uh, Han ever encountered a Jedi before. He seems to know that it's that ancient religion thing, but yeah. And maybe he, maybe, maybe that's part of the continuity is he'd never actually encountered one before. Right. Hokey religions and ancient weapons are no, uh, a match for a blaster, a good blaster at your side. I think it's, I think that's the line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at, by that point, especially, just like in Force Awakens, the Jedi have sort of become forgotten in the galaxy. People, they're, they're ancient history, almost literally. I mean, by this point, it's been uh, ten, probably 10 years, 10 years. So not that much time has passed, I guess. So about 10 years, because Luke and Leia and A New Hope are 19. Uh, that's been established. But there are a few Jedi remaining here and there in um, Star Wars Rebels. Right. So apart from Obi-Wan and Yoda in hiding, there are a few out there. Um, and then there's um, 
the Inquisitors, which are they they work for Darth Vader in hunting Jedi, um, and they use a lightsaber like uh, weapons. Um, well, it sounds like then that it makes sense that there it doesn't break anything that there weren't any in this in this story. Right. I, I just think from a from a like the the Star Wars perspective from a from a making Star Wars movies perspective. Um, I thought it was just significant that we have a Star Wars movie without, without lightsabers, without Jedi, and that you know, and I think that's part of this anthology idea is we're telling other stories, um, apart from the main good versus evil, Jedi versus Sith sort of continuity. Um, maybe that's we could talk a little bit. I don't know if you know um, where we're going from here. There hasn't been any announcements. Nobody that we don't know what the next anthology movie is going to be um, at this point. Uh, all we know is uh, we we know that there's a of course the episode nine, which is the final in the Skywalker saga. That'll be the end of that. That um, uh, Ryan Johnson, the director of Last Jedi, is going to be making another trilogy after that that is disconnected from this trilogy. It'll be, it'll be something brand new. Um, we don't even know if it takes place in this time period in the past, or, you know, maybe a hundred years from the, from this point, we don't know. Um, and we do know that there's an animated series coming this fall, uh, star Wars resistance, which takes place in the time period of the force awakens and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but for movies, there has been some rumors or there's no official news, but, um, I saw a story that James Mangold, who directed Logan, the Wolverine movie, um, will be doing a Boba Fett movie, which would be a fan favorite. Um, for some reason, fans love Boba Fett, despite his very brief and ignominious appearances in the original series, uh, two two movies. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I get it. I loved him. But that was partly because when I was you know probably 10 or 11, I got an exclusive Boba Fett action figure uh, from what was it Kenner or Hasbro um, that you had to like collect piece you know uh, UPC codes for proof of purchase from a bunch of other things and then mail it in and I ran to that mailbox every day for like four weeks and then it finally <laughs> came and I had my Boba Fett I have no idea where that is now I'd love to have it again. Um, <laughs> But that's just me and Boba Fett, uh, my story. Uh, and then there's also a word that there might be an Obi-Wan movie that uh, could feature Ewan McGregor playing uh, an Obi-Wan in a time period when he was on Tatooine uh, watching over Luke uh, as a child. So um, so there's, there's some, some things there. Is there something that you want to see, like some part of Star Wars that you wish they would make an anthology movie about? What would you what would be your your movie that you'd want them to make? Hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. I've never thought of anything like that before. Uh, yeah. When we were talking about Kira, I thought that an, another Han Solo. I would like to see like you. I'd like to see another fun movie with Han Solo, Chewbacca on an adventure with maybe they interact with Londo or uh, whatever the Easter eggs they could pop in there. But mm -hmm. when you started talking about Kira and we were talking about those three years where was she a slave? Was she um, a love interest? Was she uh, the lieutenant who was really in charge? Dryden Voss or her? Yeah. I could see something where we find out more about either through a flashback or um, another story method we find out more about those three years or who she was in mm. that respect. 
Um, it'd have to be well done. Yeah. But I would be interested. Interesting. I, I, I kind of would like to see a Lando movie. Uh, that might be fun. Just when it sort of features Lando, doesn't necessarily have to have Han in it, you know what I mean? But Lando having adventures, maybe maybe uh, an earlier adventure with L3 or, or just something new, something, you know, something later. I, I don't know. That might be interesting. Something that takes place between, you know, this and um, Empire. Um, I could see that. Um, uh, there, there's so much that's been done. So many, so many books, so many characters, um, so much time. Uh, even like the, like the, there's been a, a comic books and video games about the old Republic going back several thousand years, according to the canon. Uh, the 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 old the republic w- had lasted for twenty five thousand years that the the Jedi had st- stood guard so you have that whole history I mean you could do something with that um, you know the, that would be interesting yeah because that takes you that's very far removed from the universe as we know it and all the characters that we know it and all the canon as we know it but to go back even farther and see some of that that backstory of how the Jedi and the Sith evolved and emerged and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I could see that. I would watch that. Yeah. So, well, more, more Wookiees. <laughs> <laughs> now a movie that took place on Kashyyyk that wasn't the Star Wars holiday special. That would be very interesting. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I could go with that. Um, there's actually, there's uh, some book. We do. What's that? Do we do Chewbacca's backstory, but without the subtitles? <laughs> just just Wookiees going to each other the whole time. Well, we got the impression that Yoda and the Wookiees had a history that they, they'd interacted before in uh, what was Re- Revenge the, of the uh, Sith. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Yes, that's true. Well, I mean, actually, I mean, there's a whole um, a whole lot of stuff you could do with events just after R- Return of the Jedi. You know what? Like the death of the emperor can't. You know it, it just doesn't flip a switch. And now we're now we're a new republic. I mean, the, the the in fact they have several books that kind of explore that idea of the empire fractures. You have warlords pop up, and this you're trying to negotiate peace, and and um, the, a big part of it is, is them trying to uh, free Kashyyyk, which is the Wookiee planet. Um, like that story as a movie. Where the Wookies are fighting for freedom against the Imperials, um, I mean, you'd have to have a number of humans there in order to have some English that we could listen to. Um, but that might be an interesting story. I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to see on film. You know what, Dom? You you mentioned uh, you know that this was the first movie without like the the uh, lightsabers and such, but we mentioned this online that this is also the first movie without R2-D2 or C-3PO. Right. It, but we do know that Anthony Daniels was in this film. Yes. He's in the credits, and in the credits he's listed as TAK, T-A-K. But I've looked online and I see I see different, different reports about who he played than what I caught listening for the name TAK in the movie. Right. So I didn't know if either of you had any other insights into that. I did see a, the reference, uh, someone talking about it. And, of course, the one article I have isn't the one that had it. So let me see if I can find quickly. Um, on uh, Sla- so- Slash Film had a listing um, that had him. Uh, let's see. Just I'm vamping and talking now so I can 
So the two that I saw online, one person said that he was a human that comes running out of the spice mines and yells, yes. uh, yells something. Yep. Uh, he's got a cap on. It's real quick. The other one I saw was that he was actually dressed up as the skinny Wookiee that helps Chewbacca when Chewbacca goes in and helps them escape. But when when they are done mining, refining the coaxium and Dryden Boss's yacht lands, she goes in and there's always that droid right there at the front who takes their weapons, hmm. weapons, please. She calls him Tack. Oh. Kira says his name, Tack. Now, I haven't gone back to see the movie a third time to look for <laughs> it again. But, but I, yes, I took notes in the movie theater. <laughs> so I, I actually, it, it because I had already seen his name in the credits the first time I saw the movie, I looked for it. And sure enough, there it was, Tack. So I wonder if that's him. Now, I don't know. And I haven't seen anything credible that's come out of, of any website or uh, the Wikipedia or anything like that that confirms exactly what rumor that I'm seeing is true. So um, Jonathan Kasdan, who I, I couldn't remember his name. He's the son of uh, Lawrence Kasdan, one of the screenwriters. He said in an interview, I've got it here. Um, in the escape from the Kessel Mines, Anthony does not play the Wookiee Sagwa, but rather his best friend, a human slave who beckons Sagwa, not Chewie, to join his escape route. So... Uh, this way, this way. Yeah, I think that was his. Uh, I think that was his line. Yeah, and 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 he was named Tack in homage to legendary director of photography Tack Fujimoto. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's and then and that shows a a screenshot from the script that Kazan sent along. So, uh, but it is interesting. Now I want to see the see it again and 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 check out that uh, reference to that droid that they call it uh, Tack. That would be interesting. Yeah, there's a character in here, by the way, that uh, in Enfys Nest's uh, Cloud Riders gang, who is also in Rogue One. Um, now, he's a and I, I saw him and I'm like, where have I seen that guy? And then I, I saw, I saw a, a reference to it. He's this guy who has a breath mask on. He's getting kind of a skull like face. And he has a breath mask with two tubes coming out of it. Uh, and he's uh, he's 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 called Benthic two tubes for whatever reason. Um and he was part of Saw Gerrera's uh, gang on, um, on the planet. Uh... Oh, it starts with a J. Yes. Oh, man. All these planet names. <laughs> anyway, it's late where I am recording this. But anyway, he was um, he was he ends up becoming part of Saw Gerrera's partisans uh, later on, 10 years down the road. So it's interesting. We see him here. Uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about just quickly, the last uh, maybe the last bit was this um, the MacGuffin of the movie, which is the hyperfuel, coaxium. And uh, one of the things, it just doesn't, they mentioned at the beginning, and hyperfuel has been mentioned in other Star Wars stuff, but it never really, um, it was never brought up this way, that it was rare, that it was um, uh, very expensive and, and controlled by syndicates and very volatile and all this other stuff. Um until this, and I kind of feel like it, I don't know, I mean, they, that they needed to create something for them, something volatile that they had to steal. And they and they kind of did this. And uh, now that I talk about it, I don't know if it's as big a deal, but <clears throat> I kind of felt like it was not the best. I, I felt like it undermined the, the Star Wars uh, story a little bit by creating this 
this this problem of hyperfuel rarity um, that was never brought up in any other movie. They just they they hyperspace everywhere with no no problem um, until the Last Jedi, in which they are running out of hyperfuel, and that's the whole another issue with that movie. Um, I don't know if that was an issue for either of you. Well, you you know. When I saw that, and I, I was thinking about the the sort of throwback to westerns, I I, I kind of uh, likened it to some of the old movies where they had nitroglycerin, you know, and they had to they had mm. to steal it and they had to make sure it didn't explode, and but they were going to use it as an explosive, and it's like this is just a right. modern nitroglycerin. This is kind of what I looked at, and it it sort of added to that the western illusion to me, but it did seem like it was a a convenient crutch to use to build the story around. Right, right. Well, but if they had used a uh, mining for kyber crystals, would we have then said, "Oh, this is why do they have to keep you know, just, yeah, keep going right. back to the same so, well?" Yeah, I'm not really criticizing it, but I thought it was uh, I thought it was interesting that they uh, had this as a Steve. I like that. I like that point that the it 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 harkens to the nitroglycerin of the old westerns because. Uh, like I remember, like some of those old westerns, they're on a train and the train's bouncing all over the place, and they've got like these bottles of nitroglycerin set in straw in these cases that they're trying to get off without it exploding, and uh, it it does create its own you know uh, uh, drama in in it. So uh, I, I guess I'm okay a, with it. Yeah, there's an episode of Bonanza where this is basic. <laughs> a key role and maybe I maybe I'm just too old to, to, to have a modern reference. I'm going way back to the sixties and seventies now. Well, I mean, it's again, like we said, this is a Western heist movie. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that that's, uh, that's not a, a bad thing. Um, so man, we've talked about the, this for now uh, over an hour and a half at this point, an hour and 45 minutes. Um, uh, we've gone deep on this movie. Is there anything else we want to say about it? Any, any last bits to pull out? Uh, I think I've I've exhausted all my notes. Uh, I'm looking for my my son has asked me, Daddy, when does this movie come out on uh, on streaming? Like because we we always buy it on iTunes, uh, and I said, Well, it, uh, I'm gonna guess in a few months. And like, oh, so they're <laughs> they're really excited to see it again. They loved it, uh, and I, I I really enjoyed it. I would. I mean, just this conversation we've had makes me want to go see it again. To delve deeper into it i've only seen it once yeah and i'm sure a lot of our listeners may have only seen it once and so maybe it'll encourage them to go out and you know see it again and yeah. with new eyes which is what i'm going to do the next time i see it go see it a couple more mm -hmm. times buy the blu-ray then, then buy the streaming and maybe that'll encourage disney to, uh, to make some more solo uh sequels <laughs> i agree from the from the minute he pulls out that rock and says <laughs> what do you have in your hand it's a thermal detonator. And you're like, yes, yes. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, you just made a clicking sound. And I've, it's armed. You just made a clicking sound with your... And you're like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. There, there's nothing more Han than that, than the, the, have the bravado to make, to try to sell click, click with your mouth as a, as a thermal detonator. That That is great. Have I ever steered you wrong? <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, last reference. Uh, then we'll, then I'll really wrap it up. The golden dice. Um, that when he steals a speeder, he hangs the dice from the, the rear view mirror. And those are the dice that Luke hands to, well, sort of hands to Leia at the end of The Last Jedi, which they end up disappearing. But but they they represent, you know, Han. I mean, this is this is a really nice homage to 
to uh, Han's history throughout Star Wars. And I was really happy to see the, the golden dice show up there. So that was really nice. Okay, that's all I have. That's it. <laughs> um, so at this point, I'll, I'll ask uh, the audience, what do you think of Solo? What did, what did you think? Are we off base? Was this a good movie? Uh, or did we miss the problems that made it not a good movie? Um, we want to know. So uh, visit sqpn.com or the SQPN Facebook page and you know find the entry for this uh, uh, Secrets of Solo and leave us some feedback. Let us know, and we'll, we'll you know, we, maybe we'll read it on our, uh, a future uh, episode of Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Um, anyway, you can, you'll I'll put links to all of our personal social media and websites and all that uh, on our show notes on sqpn.com. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed uh, to ensure you receive all future installments of the Secrets of Movie and TV Shows. Uh, until then, Steve Nelson, thank you for sharing in the Secrets of Solo. This has been fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, Shelly, uh, Kelly, thank you as well. Always a pleasure. Once again, I'm Tom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, everything you heard about me is true, baby. <laughs>